are listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of Iterators of the Imperium. I'm Ryan, I'm here with my co-host Mez. Yo. Mez, do you remember in the first episode, uh, you said that the space elves sounded cool to you. Yeah, uh, like they, they were the ones that, that like spoke to me the most, let me say it like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I, I had I had a list of episodes that we could have started off with here. Um, you know, I really kicked things off. And then I thought, you know what? The best way to do this, let's go into one that really would have piqued your interest. So I was like, we're doing Space Elves. It's got to be Space Elves. <laughs> but there's a particular part of the Space Elves we're going to do. It's really important for setting the scene of everything we're about to do here. Everything we're going to talk about in this podcast. So... Okay. It's, this is a pretty big moment in the lore of the overall Warhammer 40k universe. But luckily, it's not ridiculously involved, and you'll get to learn a bit about Space Elves. Okay. <laughs> so, for the record, as you may have guessed by the 40k thing in the name, uh, Warhammer 40k is set in the 40th millennia, or 41st millennia, because it's the year, or after the year 40,000. Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about today actually starts off in about the year, or the 24th or 25th millennia. Sorry, so 24,000, 25,000. Uh, so we're still a fair bit ahead in the future. Yeah, from now. From now, from now yes. Today, from, where we, yeah. from where we are recording this. <laughs> yes. Uh, <clears throat> so, for the record, there are no books on this topic. Okay. There are a lot of, yeah. like, we talked this last time, there are over 350 books about Warhammer 40k. There are no books on this topic. There are but references to it among other books and have been in codexes about different factions in the past, stuff like that. But there is no novels or anything set within this time period. For pretty severe reasons, as might become apparent as we go. But that, that shows that... Uh, there's not a lot you can do research-wise about this, unfortunately. But wait, how how do you know it then, Ryan? And why should the listeners listen to this episode then? Oh no, I've been scouring the internet to find as much information about this as possible to condense it into as reasonable a way to explain this as possible without going too detailed into things that are better explained in more specific topics. You know, that's that's what I like to hear, Ryan. You you have piqued my interest. Let's get to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, for the record, the reason that there are, like, no books about this is that within the lore, right, the reason there are, like, no books about this is that the Eldar will not discuss this event in their history with creatures of a lesser race. Wow. Yeah, Jesus. so they are not telling humanity anything about this. <laughs> well. Yeah, just so you know, um, there's always like an in an in lore reason and an out of lore reason for why things are the way they are. Um, so the in lore reason is that they will not tell anyone of a lesser race about it, and they don't respect humanity or anything like that. The out of lore reason is it would be really boring because there wasn't any other races around at the time that were important. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, to give an idea, we're starting off 24th, 25th millennia here, so we're quite a quite a bit back from where the current story of Warhammer 40k is going on, which is mm -hmm. like 40,000 and so on. Uh, at this point, the Eldar run the galaxy, right? They are the most prevalent race. They are technologically beyond anything we can imagine because they are so psychically linked to the warp. Magically speaking, they have power beyond anything we could imagine and can do things we can't even begin to comprehend with it. Their empire also spans almost the entire galaxy as well. At this point in time, the warp is full of crazy storms. It is a very chaotic place. And this has just been building up over a long period of time. Like, over thousands of years this has built up. So, if you were to try and use the warp to... Uh, to do like a, a kind of fast travel across the galaxy now, it would be very dangerous because of these storms. The chances of getting out alive would be nigh on nothing, even for the Eldar. But okay. remember the Eldar have the webways, which are those tunnels through it that are like the yeah. aquarium tunnels. <laughs> they can still mm -hmm. use that. That's perfectly isolated from all the storms. So even though 
say, humanity at the time couldn't use the warp to travel. The Eldar still could because they could use the webways that were pre-built. So they had a lot of advantages to maintain their position of being the top dogs in the galaxy. So the other thing, at this point in time, humanity was currently in an age called the Age of Strife, which was caused by the warp storms. We're not really getting into humanity, but like, just so you know, at this point in time, humanity was still around. They were still doing stuff. It just was mm-hmm. a pretty rough time for them because of the warp storms that were going on at this in this period. Yeah, I feel like you 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 came across this briefly in the last episode as well. I think like I mentioned briefly. that a little bit that uh, humanity had a rough time for a while before they kind of got to what's going on now. Yeah, and I do believe you said you mentioned that you will tell me about this in later, and it will all make sense. Oh, so, absolutely. Yes. That's part of one of the really big storylines for humanity. So explaining humanity side of that really fits better in a humanity-based episode, you know what I mean? There's a storyline we can follow with it, which is a much better way of doing it. But just giving you a point of reference between Eldar and humanity for the the timescale we're dealing with here. Oh, as an example of their, like, crazy uh, warp abilities... The Eldar are able, or were able to, I think they might still be able to actually. Anyway, they were able to condense the energy of the warp into a physical, uh, like, composite material called Wraithbone. They could make it into a physical object that they could craft stuff with. What? Yeah. What? So this stuff was, like, impervious to the warp and incredibly strong and powerful. The stuff you could do with this is insane. I, you know what a good way to think of it is, like, you know, in Marvel, Vibranium, it's yeah, yeah, unbelievably yeah, yeah. rare and unbelievably powerful and nigh on indi- yeah. or actually indestructible. It's mm-hmm. like that, right? It is next level materials made with crazy alien magic. Like, humanity can't even <laughs> fathom how they did it back then, where we are now. We have no comprehension of this stuff. It exists. Yeah. Aliens have it. We don't quite get it. <laughs> So, so basically, like Marvel, right? You need to have like three of the Infinity Stones to even start bothering with this stuff, you know? That's exactly it. All right. <laughs> uh, and the Eldar's technology had advanced so much by the time period we're starting at here that they didn't need to do anything. Like, everything was automated for them. They didn't have to worry about food or anything like that. It was all just handled by their technology. Yeah. So their culture really started to stagnate quite heavily. And I don't know if you know much about any like living humans or anything like that. When you don't need to work, you get bored and then basically start causing your own problems. Yeah, that sounds like me in some holidays when I was a kid. Exactly, <laughs> there you go. Week, two, two weeks in, I didn't know what to do with this. That's story. exactly it. That's essentially what their entire culture hit real quickly. Yeah. Um, so... They got bored, or they got stagnant, then they got bored, and then... So, Eldar live forever, and also, there, there's a side thing, right? One of the reasons they're so strong in the like, with magic, with all the warp stuff, is their souls seem to be linked to it in a much stronger way than, like, humanities or other races are. So, anything they do... So, you know how I was explaining that emotions and stuff like that affect the warp? Or even someone yeah. dying, their soul returns to the warp, that has an effect on it. Yeah. Theirs is a much stronger effect because they're so linked to it, but it has like a benefit and a negative, basically, because the benefit is that it makes them able to do much more with warp than any human could even conceive of, on average. Um, so your your average human psyker is nothing compared to the worst Eldar psyker. Okay. <laughs> but because they lived for so long and their society kind of went the way it did, they started essentially looking to experience any and all forms of sensation just to give their life some kind of meaning. But mm-hmm. the longer you do that, the more or the stronger the sensation you need. So you know you know a, a good example of it. You know uh, porn addicts. <laughs> okay, or sugar addicts. <laughs> <laughs> Either or, yeah, I guess. Um the problem is one of them you end up with diabetes. <laughs> Um, but so like these people that have like porn addiction will start off on like pretty vanilla stuff and then a couple years later they're on like crazy like crayon drawn furry stuff 
Yeah, let's not get too much into no, that. No, we're, we're not. But that's that's the way their culture went. They started off yeah. trying to like get the best food ever, and then went to have the best sex ever, and then went to ah, pain and pleasure aren't that far apart, and then it just got worse and worse from there. But because Wait, they so- all lived for so long, it was like an art form. So, so it basically is like from from the from the base. What, human uh, the base needs so we mean like like very pg in the beginning you know like food and stuff like that and then later because of like the urges and stuff like that it just gets disgusting at some point yes that's that exactly it mean. it just gets worse and worse and worse because like the desires are still as strong as they were to begin with the desire never gets sated because you're gonna bear it, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you really wanted to get hurt at the start of it, that doesn't go away because you're gonna bear it with your time. Yeah. So the thing is, though, you build tolerances. Your your appetite for these things changes the more you experience, and then you want more and more depraved things to fill the same desire. So <laughs> it started off with them like being like, oh, okay, let's like organize an orgy in a back room of someone's house or something like that. And then the next thing they had like pleasure cults. <laughs> so like actual cults were formed for the sake of trying to do the weirdest, most pleasurable stuff their their everlasting minds could conceive of. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and that rapidly like turned into like Murder sex, basic, basically. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh. like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> pleasure and pain no. are only a thin veil away from each other. Allegedly, these guys took that to an extreme and just started doing both at the same time, but like to an extreme. So, like, don't just choke your partner; choke your partner to death. Like, <laughs> they they really took it to an extreme. Uh, I mean, that sounds sounds pretty normal to me. Yeah. But- <laughs> Like on any given day, I may agree or disagree. It really just depends no, what no, kind no, of no, day no. I'm having. Just disregard what I'm saying. Uh, okay, <laughs> don't worry, it's going to be edited. Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> this became a pretty prevalent thing within their society, right? It was it was like back back alley stuff to begin with. You know, you hide it. It was cults. They were they were underground things for a long time, but they were growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And there was a point where, like, a fair amount of the Eldar culture were like, this isn't going to end well. I'm not really down with this. I'm going to go. <laughs> so, like, a fair section of their of their uh, people that were on, like, their home worlds and the, like, their main planets and stuff like that didn't yeah. really jive with that vibe. And were like, I'm going to go. And they just dipped out. <laughs> And they went to like the far off colonies at the edges of the galaxies and stuff. The kind of the rim world that weren't as ridiculously developed and stuff. So their technology might not have been like advanced to or built up to the point of not needing to do anything. Maybe give the life a bit of purpose again and take away from those kind of ideas. That kind of stuff. They just wanted to get away from that mentality. They weren't really feeling it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So they, they, they were called the Exodites. They dipped out to as far away from it as they could possibly get while still being an Eldar culture. So remember the I mentioned the webways, these these tunnels in the warp? Yes. They weren't all just tunnels. Some some had built like realms within the webways. So there was like cities and stuff within the webway. Okay. And they, they they were fairly safe, if I remember correctly. Oh, right? yeah, because the Eldar are the only ones that have access to it, and they're perfectly isolated from the warp that they exist yeah. within. So, like, demons and stuff aren't getting them. The evil gods can't get to them. They're just kind of hidden away from the rest of the galaxy. So it's a pretty yeah. safe place to be. Uh, and there's a city called Kamara there, which is, like, the Eldar capital within the warp, right? This is, like, mm-hmm. their big place. But, like, there's a lot of people live there, but it's still not like a common thing, you know? Not like, it's not a really uh, typical thing for Eldar to just be there. Although there is a pretty safe population in there. Um, this city was where you went when you when the stuff you wanted to do was beyond, like, beyond the realms of even the sex cults. <laughs> like, when you went to one of the pleasure cult meetings and started saying you wanted to do some stuff, and everyone looked at you like you were the weirdo, even though they're in the pleasure mur- murder cult. 
that's when you're like, you know what, I'm going to dip out to Kamara within the webways where no one cares and everyone does everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the populace for Kamara bolstered a bit because of that. But also that place was just, it was like Sodom, right? You know, like Sodom and Gomorrah, the biblical thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a terminology some people, uh, that gets referenced once in a while. But it was just a city that became so unbelievably deprived because of this. Uh, so that was going on at the same time as like the Exodites were abandoning Homeworld and trying to you know, get back to some sense of normality. Time passes, and this becomes even more prevalent within their culture to the point that like their government collapses and everything. Because nothing is happening other than sex cults now, basically. <laughs> like, it's to the point that people are, like, playing, like, cat and mouse games in the streets of, like, hunter-prey uh, hunter and actually being, like, trying not to be murdered by some dude you've just asked to hunt you down and try to murder you in the street. What the... This is weird, right? Yeah, I'm telling you, this their whole culture got so far gone just because of their technology and the length of their lives. Because they were like yeah. they were nigh on immortal, I believe. Um and they like as they got older, like their minds didn't deteriorate or anything. So it it just enough time, things just get worse and worse, you know? So their culture got to a point of being ridiculously bad. <laughs> So it was, like, as bad as it could possibly get, basically. This was, like, all there was. And so there is now, at this point in the other culture, an insane number of people being murdered within the realms of this stuff, which has taken over their the bulk of their society. Mm-hmm. And when they die, they go to the warp. And when they died, they were in intense feelings of pleasure and pain and whatever else they were into. So that goes to the warp with them. And all of that is much stronger than a human, for example. So all of that going into the warp in the billions started to coalesce into like a living entity within the warp. Yeah. And it caught, or the storms were getting worse and it was, it was the whole thing was going on. So a section of the culture of the Eldar saw this happening and were like, right, Something bad's gonna go down. We're getting out of here before it happens. Like, they could see something was going on. They didn't know exactly what, but they were not sticking around to find out. And the Eldar had these things called uh, craft worlds. It was literally a world, like a planet, a planet-sized spacecraft <laughs> that was built, I think primarily, or at least structurally, like the skeleton of it, was built out of Wraithbone, the the warp material. The strongest material, yes. Yes, right? So a, a huge amount of their culture got on these big Wraithbone spaceships. And again, they stole everything that wasn't nailed down. Plants, animals, cultural stuff, everything. And they bailed. They were out of there. They did not want to hang around to see what was going on. They were like, this is the calm before the storm. And this isn't even very calm. Something's about to happen. I am not going to be here when it does. And they dipped as well. So they're, they are now a faction referred to as the Craftworld Eldar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eldar are split up in a bunch of factions. I'm telling you the origins of them all as we go through this. So you had the Exodites to begin with, now you've got the Craftworld Eldar. Yeah, so this creature in the warp started to form while the souls that were going in at ridiculous amounts. And then the creature took its first breath. It, it came to life. Rather than just being this this, like grouping of all the souls gradually building together and everything like that it actually came to sentience and took mm-hmm. its first breath and when it did it's, it inhaled a massive majority of the Eldar race's souls okay it, yeah. it took one breath and ripped the souls out of a huge amount of the Eldar race and they all just dropped dead where they were so like Damn. Everyone on the home world, gone. Every psyker in their race, like, or a huge, like, a huge majority of the psychers in the races, gone. Even some on, like, the Exodite planets, the ones that are, like, way on the far rims of the galaxy, even some of them got taken. The Blackstone Fortress ones were relatively safe because the Wraithbone protects from the warp, in a way. But even some of them, like, the ones that were, like, particularly, uh, 
like uh, strong with a warp and stuff like that. The ones that are particularly sensitive. Even some of them got pulled clean out of the warps from fortresses. So mm-hmm. just all of a sudden, the Eldar race goes from being the most powerful race in the galaxy, outnumbering everyone by the trillions, to like three percent of the race surviving, kind of thing. Like, or it's, it's not that much. I think it's closer to like twenty percent. But like, they are suddenly off the map, and this creature yeah. swells. This thing goes from being like first breath to being fat as all hell on the souls of the Eldar. It has just consumed their culture in like yeah. in one breath. Uh the El or the Eldar that were in Kamara, the city within the warp, they were safe though, because it's you know sealed within the webways. They didn't really get touched. And there is another group called the Harlequins, which are a faction of the Eldar as well. They were also saved, but we will get to that in a moment. Um, so, after all this, the this is Slanesh, by the way. This is one of the Chaos Gods being born. Yeah. That was the only one I didn't explain the birth of, because it happened during stuff. This is how he was born. The God of debauchery and excess and everything like that. The Eldar made that dude. <laughs> well, actually, Slanesh is not a dude. Uh, seems to kind of be either vaguely genderless or go back and forth in a way because a lot of the time it's referred to just in a generic male way but the Eldar actually title it as she who thirsts or the great enemy so seems to be relatively androgynous in in gender although Chaos God I don't think they're particularly bothered about if puny mortals misplace the pronouns Uh, (laughs) but We'll try to be as precise as possible. So, she who thirsts, for the sake of the Eldar. Uh, <laughs> the first thing they did after, like, after becoming a fully sentient creature and stuff, and eating as much of the Eldar as they could possibly get their hands on, they went after the Eldar gods. So, the Eldar had been so powerful with the warp and everything like that for so long, that one day they had just decided to start crafting their own gods. And they did. They made seven of them for different things. Uh, so Slanesh decides those are my only real threat and I also really like Eldar like he was only looking at the Eldar at this point I didn't give a fuck about anyone else <laughs> so the only issue of him devouring the entire Eldar race that could never possibly stand in his way was their seven gods so he decides he's eating them too or they decide they're eating them too Slanesh gets five of the seven gods devoured no problem the last two. What, what are you going to no, say? Sorry, I'm just going to. I'm just going to ask about the last two. Well, the last two are a thing, right? So, Cain is their god of war. Cain is basically undefeatable in combat because he's the god of war. But Slanesh, mm-hmm. having just just been born and devoured a majority of the race's souls, is an absolute tank. So. Kane couldn't defeat Slanesh, but Slanesh couldn't defeat Kane either. They were in like a stalemate. And Korn, the god the Chaos God of War, allegedly, right? Th- th- this is weird, right? I found a lot of reference to this being alleged, that there was no real evidence or proof of this. That's a weird point, and I'll I'll circle back to it in a moment, right? But allegedly the story is that during this fight. Uh, between Cain and Slanesh, and it was kind of a stalemate, Korn got involved. And the idea is that people think that Korn was trying to devour uh, Cain for himself, because Cain, uh, Cain is the god of war, Slanesh, well, no, uh, Korn uh, is the god of martial prowess and everything like that. So a god of war is right up his alley. That sounds like exactly the guy he wants to eat. And mm-hmm. it looks like he was just trying to take the opportunity. Uh, which gave Slanesh the upper hand and it led to the defeat of Cain. But not the destruction, or not the not the devouring of Cain. Uh, Cain's soul was shattered, or Cain's form was shattered, and his soul was, like, turned into shards, basically. And is currently spread out among the Eldar that still are around. There's another thing that I also found out, and this is an absolute fact. Slanesh and Korn hate each other. Because Corn got involved when he was trying to eat the the God of War, so yeah. it's odd that that people are clearly 
unsure of whether or not that event happened when you discussed the fight between Kane and Slanesh. But ten minutes later, are a hundred percent sure that the reason that Slanesh and Corn hate each other is because Corn did exactly what people claim he didn't act or might not have done. Very strange situation. <laughs> there should be a book about this, just so that this argument gets cleared up. Regardless, Corn's followers and Slanesh's followers still hate each other because of this. So mm-hmm. it looks like that actually did happen. But moving on. There is a thing called the Infinity Circuit within Eldar culture, which I think it's the craft world that have it. And it's basically just this big wraith bone structure on some of their ships and stuff like that, and some of their planets, that they mm-hmm. can store souls within to stop Slanesh getting them. And that's it's called the Infinity Circuit. They just keep souls there because they can't let Slanesh have them, I guess. Um, and the shards of Cain's soul that are spread out amongst the culture are within the Infinity Circuit. Okay. Uh, yeah, they have these big statues uh, called Avatars of Cain. And if things get really rough for them and they're about to like lose a craft world or, or lose a planet or whatever... They can take the soul of Cain out of the Infinity Circuit and put it into one of these statues, <coughs> and it like takes on the form of the god and is able to fight for them as an avatar of Cain. That's sick. It yeah. is unbelievably cool. So they can just Fun. like summon a portion of the God of War's power to protect them in times of Fun. need. Fun fact, because now now this is beside the point, but I'm Danish. We have something uh, a guy called Holgodenske. Which is basically uh, Holger the Dane. This is like uh, in the, the the capital here in Denmark, uh, like on the ground, like a giant ass statue. And there's like a legend saying if we ever going to need him for war, stuff like that, you know, kind of like this situation yeah. you are describing right now. Then he will come to life and fight. Like, I love that. <laughs> yeah, you see, the, the Danes do it better, man. To be but fair, yeah, that actually might be part of where this comes from. Because a lot of what is in 40k is drawn from, like, real-world situations and stuff like that. Oh. Real-world lore and stuff like that, yeah. Uh, the whole thing's meant to be, like, a parody, in a way, of, like, humanity as a whole. So, like, the Eldar storyline that we're going through now is, like, a parody of, like, humanity's uh, depravity and stuff like that. And how we, like, fall into these uh, negative cycles that just get worse and worse as time goes on and stuff. Yeah. So, they actually do take a lot of stuff from our actual like mythological lore and stuff like that that feeds us influences a lot of it so that actually might be related i mean i it it definitely sounds like awesome yeah you know yeah that that's something that you know gets my interest you know like you can use real life situations like we have a with, with this situation for example you know i'm not talking like the one in harry potter you know <laughs> where, where the statues come to life to protect the school i'm talking like real nordic shit you know yeah you know I love my Nordic lore. I have a whole leg sleeve tattooed about it. Oh, I I, I know. I've seen. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, all right. The, the other god that survived, right, is the god of the Harlequins, which I mentioned briefly before, but I said I'll get into later. This is it. We're getting mm-hmm. into it. So, the last god to survive, I'm not sure how you pronounce the name. It's either Kegarak or Segarak. I would bet Segarak. Uh, but okay. I, I don't know 100% sure but he is the laughing god or the trickster god uh, <laughs> and essentially there is some mention of him hiding behind Cain during the battle with Slaanesh <laughs> and then just sneaking away into the webways okay uh, <laughs> but essentially there is a realm within the webways called the labyrinthian realm and it's just a big labyrinth that's constantly warping and stuff and that is where uh, Segarak resides. And the Harlequins are like his followers. They're the, they're the Eldar that followed him were titled like this. And um, the Harlequins actually do look like old school jesters in a way. Because their armor has this like phase shift cloak over it. So when you look at them, it like warps like the sight of them a little bit. Light warps around them slightly. Right, and they have their uniforms, their armor and stuff painted with like old school Harlequin, like you know the diamond patterns of the different colors. Mm -hmm. Their uniforms and armor are painted with those, so that when they're in combat, because they're extremely agile, they're like typical like wood elf stuff from other lore. They're insanely fast. They move unbelievably quickly, and 
with the light warping thing and these weird colored patterns on their uniform, it's just really weird to look at them and really hard to figure out what is going on when you're fighting them because it messes with your vision so much. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason that like or part of the tie-in with the old Harlequin thing. They actually do look like old school Harlequins, but there is an in lower reason, and it's that it it messes with the with the combatant's vision at, as you're trying to fight them. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I've I've looked into these guys a little bit like uh, deeper in, at one point before, and the coolest thing I remember about them is that there is a thing they have that's a mask you can wear that when someone looks at it, they see their worst fear. <laughs> so oh, so you can be fighting this guy and all you can see on his face is like your abusive father <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Some big chaos demon that like tried to murder you 10 minutes ago that you're still reeling from. It's just all you see fighting this guy. <laughs> so that's a pretty, pretty messed up bit of tech. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, these these are these are Segarax guys. They're his worshippers and his followers, and they they do his bidding a bit in a way. Um, and they all reside. Pre- oh, they they reside predominantly among the Eldar that are still around, but they also reside within the labyrinthian realm of the Webway with Segarax, <laughs> which basically only they know how to navigate. So it's like a perfect defense system. No one is going to come and eat Sigarak while they're around, or while they have to try and get through the maze of death. Like, you're just not going to manage that at any point in time. No. Uh, but when uh, when Slanesh did his whole going around eating all the souls, um, Sigarak saved the souls of the Harlequins that were among the, the culture at the time, like, outside of the warp. So... There is a thing where uh, Sigarak likes to prank Slanesh, and basically what he means by that is sometimes when Eldar die and Slanesh is going to eat their soul when they come into the warp, Sigarak will just pop out of the webway, grab the soul, and sneak back in before he gets them, <laughs> just to mess with him. But it like it keeps all the Harlequins safe and stuff like that. So they're like one of the cultures that doesn't have to like use insane technology or really weird means to try to save their souls from feeding Slanesh. Yeah. Um, oh, the Dark Eldar. <laughs> I was like, what's next on my notes? Yeah, the Dark Eldar. <laughs> Remember that city within the webway, Kamara, where everyone went to do stuff that was like depraved beyond even the pleasure cults and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those guys were pretty damn safe when it came to the whole Slanesh thing. Uh-huh. But there's still the whole thing where Slanesh wants all Eldar dead and wants to eat all of their souls. So if they but die, can't get them. Yes, but if they die, their soul still goes back to the warp normally. Uh-huh. The the soul doesn't stay within the webway. Just they are currently within the webway. Yeah. So if they die, he still can eat their soul, and they obviously want to avoid that because that's a bad thing. Uh-huh. No one really wants to feed the gods of chaos unless you're kind of already on their side. And then they've already got your soul, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, uh, these guys figured out that a good way to stop Slanesh from actively pursuing them was to do things that, like, fed into him anyway. So rather mm-hmm. than them, than him getting, or than Slanesh getting their souls, he was just feeding off of the, the deeds that they committed. So they just kept doing all the crazy depraved stuff. But there's only so much you can do within Kamara. So they started going out into the galaxy, like out of the webways and everything, into the actual galaxy and doing it. So they would just raid planets and stuff. And they are about as horrible as horrible can be. Uh, as an example, because um, I'm liking, rather than going too deep into these things, giving you like a special feature of them. Uh, so that we can look into that that particular group later, better later in their own light. Uh, mm-hmm. Their one is that once in a while they will just take people as sla- oh they steal slaves a lot by the way that's one of the reasons they go out raiding is to steal massive amounts of slaves um, and then take them back to Kamara and just do stuff to them I guess uh, make them do stuff again <laughs> uh, whatever I don't really I don't really want to think too much about what they do to them but I would say the worst thing they do is after they've like broken your spirit they will just turn you into furniture. 
What? Yeah. They will turn you into furniture. And by the way, I don't mean that they skin you and use you to upholster a couch. I mean, they will like form you together with like three other living guys in a couch. And they're living. Yeah, yeah. Still. Well, vaguely speaking. <laughs> I I, know, I think I know how they got the, the adjective dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, like, they're the Eldar that are currently kind of, in a vague sense, working for chaos. They're the evil Eldar, for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, because, yeah, they're just the worst guys. <laughs> yeah, it sounds horrendous, you know. It is. They are just the worst people. <laughs> they're like space pirates now, basically. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they will turn some people into furniture down the line. So they are the worst. <laughs> uh, but doing that kind of stuff, obviously, because it still is depraved and excessive as it was before when Slaanesh was born, or even worse now, that all is a form of worship for Slaanesh. So it makes him stronger. So Slaanesh is like, you know what? You keep doing that. Your soul isn't worth as much as the millennia of worship I can get from you. So Slaanesh focuses efforts on all the other Eldar that aren't doing that stuff anymore so that, or because their soul is much more valuable than letting them live. So mm-hmm. let the Dark Eldar keep worshipping in a vague sense and Slaanesh will focus on other things. So it keeps them safe in a way. Uh, the Craftworld Eldar and the Exodus Eldar have a thing called a soul stone that they carry around, that if they die, their soul goes into this little gem, and then it can be put into the big infinity circuit thing. Um, mm-hmm. There, There's actually, I'm, I'm not going to get too far into this, because it's, it's a whole contrived thing, but there is an ideology going on within the Eldar at the moment, that if they get enough souls within, to, or within the infinity circuit, it will become a powerful enough like coalescence of warp energy, between all the souls that are within it, that it could be used to defeat Slaanesh one day. Uh, okay. But a majority of like the Exodite and Craftworld Eldar carry these little soul stones just so that if they die, Slaanesh isn't fed off of it. Because feeding yeah. Slaanesh is like, rule one, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and, and rule number two, don't let a lot of people do that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so every race has found their own, or every group of Eldar, sorry, every faction of them has found their own way of to deal with the Slanesh thing. So mm-hmm. the Kamara ones are the Dark Eldar; they just basically worship him instead of dying for him. Uh, the Craft World and stuff like that on their big nomadic ships, uh, they have the Soul Stones and the Infinity Circuit, and the Harlequins have their God looking after them. So that is the gist of everything that happened. But that takes place between like year or millennia 24 25 and 30 so that's like five thousand years this all took place over it's a whole thing <laughs> but it's year like thirty thousand is when slanesh was born finally or around early 30th millennia is when slanesh actually came forward so they spent like five thousand years getting more and more deprived so you mm-hmm. can see how it got as far as it did with that length of time and no one dying you just get better at being weird, I guess, if you do it long enough. <laughs> Moral of the story. I That's guess. it, aye. Um, so that 5,000-year span is a pretty pretty big chunk of uh, of lore for Warhammer. It's a really important bit, but like it doesn't take a long time to run over because there is like no documentation of that period, which is kind of handy, actually, for the sake of this. <laughs> Uh, but also, you now know a lot more about the Eldar as a, as where they stand now, because they're nomadic, there's barely any of them left, they used to run the joint, and now they're struggling to survive, and some of them are evil, some of them are clowns, some of them are on magical fortresses, and some of them are just living in the middle of nowhere planets. Yeah. Uh, so, the fallout of this situation is a few different things. Um, so, the Eldar, as this went over, are Nomadic, fractured, and pretty effed up. Uh, because all of the kind of chaos and the warp and the coalescence of these souls and everything all formed together, it actually cleared up the ridiculous warp storms that were going on. So mm-hmm. after the birth of Slaanesh, traveling in the warp was actually pretty safe again. Okay. So that was a big help for humanity. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but... 
possibly or, or that is like equally as important as the next part which is probably a bit more notable though uh when slanesh was born properly uh all of the souls being torn into the warp all at once from like the eldar homeworlds and everything kind of tore a hole in reality between the physical world and the warp just that sheer influx of of like souls and energy and everything like that just created mm-hmm. like a warp hole or a, a wormhole kind of thing into the warp. So uh-huh. there's just this massive tear in the center or hole, I guess, in the center of the galaxy of like crazy green energy that is literally a gateway directly between the physical world and the warp. And now. the warp, yeah. So there are demons in the warp that are now sitting there like, oh, cool, a way out. <laughs> uh, all the gods of chaos are like, cool, this is going to be much easier now. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people that are like, this is a great opportunity for me to mess up everything out there. It's like a maximum security prison in a world with, like, superheroes and supervillains. It's like blowing a hole in the wall of the prison. <laughs> now all the bad stuff can get out. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, like you referenced Marvel earlier, and I think we could reference Marvel again because it kind of have the same, you know, with the alien vibes and stuff like that. You know, uh, I don't know if it was Endgame or which movie it was, but where there's like a warp hole, whatever, going out to space, like appearing above New York, I believe. Oh, that's the first like Avengers that. film. It was? Yeah, yeah, because they throw the nuke through it. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. You, you, you get the gist of it, right? Yeah, that's exactly Just it. Some- like a pole or some, you know, just from sheer energy that opens up to like a whole new dimension, but just yeah. with the warp. So. Yeah, like yeah. big portal yeah. opens above where you live, and suddenly there is so much evil stuff coming out. Uh, yeah. So that's a pretty major issue that they had to deal with, uh, that everyone has to deal with now, I guess. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, weird that. Uh, it's called the Eye of Terror because it's just this big green mauve energy in the center of the, or oh, in, in the middle of space. Uh, which also obviously like ate all the planets and stuff in that area. <laughs> Actually, as an added bit about this, there is a cool thing. So you know how in the first episode I told you that there was like special kinds of like human normal soldiers, like the yes. the Kriegsmen that are like they like they they fight like they're in World War Two because they nuke their planet to pieces. Yeah, I'm actually looking at a picture at them right now. The one with the like the, the gas mask, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like the soldier uh, World War Two uh, outfits. Yes, like all right. So there's a few types of like normal human guardsmen that have no business fighting the things they fight. Uh, yeah. So there is the Kriegsmen, which are the ones you're looking at. There's Katachan ones that all dress like Rambo. Uh, every Katachan is just an absolute unit of a human. And they are, like, their planet, everything wants to eat them, everything wants to poison them. It's like Australia. It's just a bad place to be. (laughs) But if you grow up there and life is nothing but fighting for survival, you grow up to basically be Rambo 2.0. It's like Rambo on steroids. So they are (laughs) monstrous fighters, even though they're just normal humans. Yeah. And there is a group that are, like, the classic guardsmen, right? These are, like, you say guardsmen, this is what a lot of Warhammer fans bring to mind just just naturally uh but they're titled so that's what i'm bringing up the cadian guardsmen right the cadian guard are a type are a, a particular type of guard right there is nothing mm-hmm. particularly special about them physically or anything like that it is just the way they do what they do right mm-hmm. so there is a thing that is set up once in a while by humanity where we are now in in everything's going on called the uh, guardian worlds so whenever there's some really bad stuff going on in a particular section of space, we will set up like perimeter planets around it to stop stuff getting out, right? To stop the spread of whatever it is. And what we do mm-hmm. is we take a planet that's, or we take these planets that like ring the area or whatever, and we basically do like an industrial revolution of the planet, make it an absolute factory forge world. So it can pump out like equipment for war and ammunition on an unprecedented scale. And then it is outfitted and set up to outfit the most guardsmen physically possible. Just so that if anything tries to get past it, it has as many guys and as many guns as possible ready to shoot at whatever goes. (laughs) 
And it's just, it's, it's a guardian world. The whole point is it's guarding something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's in the name. Exactly. Yeah. So, Cadia is, like, the most well-known planet, I, I believe, that is a guardian world of the Eye of Terror. <laughs> so, Cadia okay. is, like, right on the edge of the Eye of Terror. Like, the sky in Cadia is green because of all they can see is the Eye of Terror's glow. Yeah. And the guardsmen there spend their entire lives and all their ancestors and all their descendants' lives fighting the things that come out of the warp and try to get into the actual galaxy. Oh, that sounds horrendous. Yeah, it's, a gu- it's an absolute living nightmare. Uh, so there is a quote at a pretty heavy point within the storyline of Cadia uh, by one of their generals, and he is addressing the guardsmen, because they're, they're in a battle and everything's just getting worse and worse and worse, and mm-hmm. the spirit of the guardsmen starts to break. Like, they're starting to basically give up. And this general takes the field in front of them and addresses all the guardsmen and essentially says, today you have to do your duty because no one else will. You have to stand up to chaos and fight because no one else will. Uh, and then there's a, That's a lot of pressure. It is. And there's a section at the end of the quote, which I will find for, this, for when we get to it. Uh, in the actual episode list. Uh, There's a section at the end of the quote where he says, any man who cannot do his duty uh, identify himself now to the commissar so that he can be relieved of the duty and stop wasting my time. (laughs) Yeah, like, they take take their stuff seriously. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Uh, Who who else would? Well, they have to, that's the thing. No one else is going to do it. Uh, So, all in all, this gives you a good or a good idea of one the Eldar race as they stand currently in the scope of this. Uh, also, it explains where Slash came from, and as an added thing, I'm going to give you a, a little thing about humanity. So, I'd say that humanity was suffering because of all the warp storms that were going on. Uh, mm-hmm. The warp storms that had became so bad that you couldn't travel through the warp normally anymore, the way humanity did or communicate through the warp anymore because of the storms, Slaanesh's birth cleared all that up, and suddenly humanity that had become splintered and isolated was suddenly, one, able to travel the galaxy again in mass distances, and were now in contact with lost uh, colonies again. So Mm -hmm. it allowed humanity to actually start doing stuff again, rather than declining, we were suddenly able to actually get back on with what was going on. So... This this time period, Eldar and humanity basically have nothing to do with each other. But if it weren't for mm-hmm. the Eldar, humanity would have probably crumbled. Ooh. Yeah. So that is about all I have to say on this particular topic. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this matter? Let's hear it. Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff, if I'm being quite honest. Uh, I mean, it's nice to get, like, you know... The background story to to how um, the god of of greed and lust and all that stuff came to be, um, like to get the, get like a deeper dive into that background uh, story, uh, especially with this race. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of it going in in depth, where I just have to put two and two together sometimes, but. It sounds it sounds interesting. It sounds interesting, especially with like you know, when they take stuff from like real life, especially with like northern uh, mythology and stuff like that, and 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 chuck that in, in into the stories. I do I do like that a lot. I, I'm um, a big fan of those kind of things too. There is a lot yeah, more the, of so- that, especially when we get to like humanity and stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think I think my. Uh, my favorite part about this was like you know with the with the with the soul. What, what was the call to like the soul statues? The avatar of Cain. Yes, yes. I believe th- so. There is a uh, you know like real time strategy games like Command and Conquer and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There was one of those games that was set in forty k called Dawn of War, and I believe if you played as the Eldar, you could actually have the avatar of Cain as a unit. Bruh. It was like your top tier god unit that was meant to take out everything else. Yeah, he's a cool guy. 
it's cool. So, but yeah, uh, in terms of like the story with, uh, with like the, the the city or you know in the in the tunnel the city, what was it called again? Uh, the naming is the cover. Yeah, it, it's funny when you listen to stories like this because like obviously right now you are in the role with the host like as as a storyteller like the the primary storyteller who tells me the story and me as a someone who's new coming into you know with with. Like I have no perspective about this. I have no idea what anything is, you know. Yeah. But it's funny when when you as the storyteller can kind of like visualize uh, the story for me, and I immediately start to imagine how it would it would look. I I just find that funny. Like I I imagine how it would look inside my head, you know, how that would actually be. So uh, that that's kind of that's the that idea. Cool what we're thing. going for here, we're trying to make this accessible for people that don't know anything about it, and. I feel like one of the best ways to do that is to actually teach someone that knows nothing about it. Because any questions that, that you will have is probably the same question that a listener that doesn't know anything about this would have. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it seems like it's a good formula for actually teaching people that are brand new to this. Just so anyone listening knows, in future, we will get into more detail and more precision about a lot of matters. Especially when it comes to humanity. Because there's a huge amount of detail about humanity. It's the most detailed about humanity, I believe. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, by the way. I'm, I'm glad. I'm very yeah. excited for getting to the humanity stuff as well, because it's, well, it's possibly the most laid out uh, storyline. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot more you can get into. And also, there are a lot more fleshed out characters because it follows for such a long time in such depth. You can actually yeah. like bond to the characters and get like a sense of what they're going through and stuff with the storyline mm-hmm. when you get to them. So I'm very excited for that. But we do have a few other framing things we need to do first. But there's also a lot of other races to learn about and a lot of other random nonsense to learn about first. So we got we got some time. We got some stuff we can go through. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my way of going through this uh, episode guide-wise is going to be trying to feed off whatever uh, piques your interest, if possible, uh, to try and keep it going in like a, a natural progression. Or going as like storyline points and then going from there kind of thing so if after this episode because we don't there are more storyline things like this that are isolated storylines that frame a lot of stuff that we can go into um but if we finish this one you go you know what i really want to learn about the harlequins like i can make a harlequin episode you know (laughs) what i mean we can do that so we're 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 figuring this the the direction of each of each new episode or each next episode as we go. Mm-hmm. And when the series gets further developed, and if you guys have the interest in it, we are gonna going to be making some uh, some social medias as to where we can take requests, for example, from the audio listeners. Yeah, one thing we had already discussed that we are going to do is uh, we will be doing answering listener questions in a separate episode that will be like an additional thing among the, the typical podcast episodes as well. So we're really hoping you guys can get involved a bit. Also, I want to throw this out there. I'm not perfect at this, and I want to keep this as accurate as possible. So if I say something that is blatantly wrong or blatantly misunderstood, feel free to contact us and correct me, and I will issue a correction. <laughs> feel free to harass Ryan as much as possible. Yes. <laughs> I like how he, I like how Mez didn't uh, put himself in for that one as well. <laughs> nah, nah. I'm just a moderator in, in the Q&A stuff. I don't know anything. So I'm, I'm not comfortable answering stuff. Oh, God. But I think that's all we need to say about the fall of the Eldar at the moment. So, yeah. we will catch you guys next time for the next episode of Iterators of the Imperium. See you then.